Welcome back to Women in the Word. So good to be here, be with you to study our King. Uh, thank you for committing to the study. Thank you for committing to each other. What a blessing that is. I'm Lynn Kitchens, part of the teaching team. You know, I love last week when we got to look at a lot of those miracles of Christ and Amy led us through a lot of the works of Jesus as he traveled around. I loved it. They displayed his power, his compassion, his authority as he was walking those hills and those fields, those roads in Galilee. He astonished everyone everywhere he went. He healed the demonic, the blind, the unclean, the mute, the lame, the demon-possessed. He commanded the stormy winds to stop, and the rains and the storms and the sea became calm. So he was speaking words of truth, but he was also displaying truth in a confused Jewish nation who had lost sight of who God really was. And so God was walking among them out of his compassion, so they could know who he was. No wonder the crowds would marvel and say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel before. God walking among them, doing the amazing things. So when we stand back and we look at everything that defined the person of Christ as he was doing all this, we can see that he was on a mission. Jesus had a mission today. I want to look a little closer at that mission. Um, before I do that, I'm going to put a picture on the screen to help illustrate this idea. And I've decided it's probably a picture you've never seen or has never been in any women's Bible study ever before. So here's the pic. <laughs> okay, it's Tom Cruise. And uh, he was always a guy on a mission. If you watch his Mission Impossible movies, here's a shot of him doing the impossible. Uh, he does a lot of his stunts, which is kind of amazing. He's always on a dangerous assignment to get rid of the bad guys. And so he's always explained this assignment on some kind of a recording. And then all at once, the recording disintegrates before his very eyes. Now, it does not do that before you hear these words, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Now, what if he said, yeah, that sounds really, really hard. I think I'm going to say no this time. I mean, we wouldn't have much of a movie. So, no, we expect him to always say, I accept my mission, I'm going to go do it. When we look at the mission of Jesus Christ, he's expecting us to accept that mission as our own as well. He doesn't make a recording that's going to disintegrate. He tells us the mission in his word, which will never disintegrate, and he expects us to accept it. He says, this is your mission because you've chosen to accept me. That's the part you have to accept. So I want to look at the mission. I want to see where we fit into it. It was a mighty, meaningful, miraculous mission for Jesus back then. And guess what? Today it is still a mighty, meaningful, and miraculous mission for us, his followers. You know, without it, without the mission of Christ, we would have no meaning or purpose for even being here. And you can see what that ends up looking like for people who don't have that mission. 
So, yay, he gave us a mission. Let's look at his mission in um, Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so before we look into this a little more, we have to look at who Jesus came to serve. His mission as king of the Jews was mainly conducted among the Jews. You'll notice the word synagogue in there. Jesus was traveling from synagogue to synagogue in all the different towns and cities teaching. And here was his message to them. God is fulfilling his covenant promises with you through me. Jesus was the promised Messiah that Moses said was going to come to tell the people the kingdom of God is here. Look at Deuteronomy 18 on your verse sheet. Oh, excuse me, I have the wrong verse sheet up here. Okay, the Lord your God will raise up to you for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. The prophet was going to come from the nation Israel, but he was going to be more than a prophet like Moses was. Look at Hebrews 3 on your verse sheet. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. As God's own son, how much more should Israel listen to him? As Jesus entered the synagogues, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. We've been studying how his message was entirely different than all the messages that had been spoken to the Jewish people. It was a message of redemption, grace, forgiveness, humility, compassion. It was about his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. And we can get a taste of this from one of the times he stepped into a synagogue in Nazareth. Um, you can look later in Luke 4, and we see a time when Jesus stepped into a synagogue and came in, and they handed him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so Jesus took the scroll, he stood up, he opened it, and he read these words from hundreds of years earlier. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said today... The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he rolled up calmly the, the scroll and uh, he, he set it down and then he sat down. And it was like crickets in the room. Every eye on Jesus, marveling at what he said. So at first they sort of were marveling, but then Jesus immediately gave an example of a time when the Gentiles were blessed because Israel lacked faith. And they went from marveling to hatred like that. 
And they grabbed Jesus and they tried to actually force him over a cliff so he would drop to his death. Instead, he left that synagogue and went on to continue his ministry. But this is why, near the end of his ministry, Jesus wept over all those cities that had rejected his message to them. Look at Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. He had a mission to open the eyes of Israel, to open the ears of Israel, to hear truth, to see who he really was. But they shut them tight for the most part, their eyes and their ears. So when Jesus ascended after his crucifixion and resurrection, he told his disciples, go to all the nations because Gentiles are also loved by me. Look at Romans 9. Even us who he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, the Gentiles, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Jesus was not only a traveling teacher, he was a miracle worker. His miracles authenticated his message. One validated the other. Throughout his time on earth, we can see the point behind his pursuits when we look at those things. He came to bring physical and spiritual healing to those that were lost. And I don't think we can imagine what it was like when Jesus entered new towns and the sick people heard he was there. People would be getting carried. People would be trying to get places themselves. People would be shoving to get near him, sort of like the story when he's in the house and they had to take the roof off. People everywhere that were sick and needed him, crying out for help. And that passage we just read said, every disease he could heal, every affliction he could heal. That was the scope of his power. And every time there was a miraculous he healing, the deity of Jesus Christ was on display. This was not a man. This was not just another prophet. This was the Son of God. So Jesus' mission was motivated by true compassion for the lost. After physical healing, he gave them spiritual healing. Come to God through faith in me. Come to God. The word compassion in this passage is the strongest word for pity in the Greek language. It is formed from the word which actually means bowels, which portrays a compassion that comes up from the deepest depths of our being. And Jesus looked around and he saw the ravages of sin around him and it hurt him to the very depths of his being. He saw the harassed faces in the crowds. He saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, helpless, wandering and lost, no one to guide them, no one to protect them, maligned by the very religious leaders who were supposed to be doing that in their lives, 
supposed to be guiding them, supposed to be directing them. Instead, they did what they could to keep them from getting to the true shepherd who was standing in their midst. So we can see the true colors of the religious leaders by looking at the situation and the pitiful condition of their flock. Let you know what kind of job they were doing. Unlike those leaders, Jesus is the good shepherd. He doesn't abandon the flock like the hired hands of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look at John 10 on your verse sheet. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing about the sheep. That was the situation. Look at verse 37. So Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, so the religious leaders would look at these common people of the harvest as chaff, to be burned, to be destroyed. That's how they treated them. Jesus saw these people as a harvest waiting to be reaped, waiting to be saved. And so he lifted his eyes up from the helpless people and he set them on, the, on his disciples. And he said, Pray for these people. We get to pray today for people that are out laboring in the harvest. And we get to pray for more laborers. And we get to be laborers. But our prayers are a privilege because they go before and they help raise up laborers to do God's work. We've, we participate in the fulfillment of God's plans on earth. What a great privilege. Before we look at the answer to this prayer, I want to understand some other truths about Jesus' mission because his mission included the cost and the reward of discipleship. As Jesus fulfilled his mission, there would be a responsibility for those who heard his message. So let's look at chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus said, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. When we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, um, that's who the Lord acknowledges to God as his very own. How can Jesus acknowledge people who have rejected him and won't acknowledge him? I read about a famous scholar from a Dublin university and someone asked him, hey, are you a Christian? He said this, yes, but not offensively so. <laughs> what a sad, sad response. Not offensively so. He didn't want to express or display his supposed faith because he didn't want to offend people. And this is no acknowledgement that God is king in your heart at all. Look what Romans 1 says. I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Romans 10 tells us we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Here's something that's so awesome. The joy of us who confess Jesus here will in no way compare to the joy of hearing Jesus confess us before his heavenly Father. What a day that will be. Meanwhile, on earth we have Jesus' care. One day we're going to have his confession before God. This is the reward of a true disciple. Meanwhile, Jesus is about to say, our confession here can bring about a lot of pain, and this is the difficult cost of discipleship. Look at verse 34. Don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against the mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, our words of confession weigh really heavy in a world that rejects him. So the testimony of Jesus Christ can either sever and break apart families and household like a sword would do. And it's not that Jesus desires these divisions. It's the consequence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ entering a home, some people taking it, and some people rejecting it. Conflict will come because of that. Rejecting the truth because of unbelief creates opposition in our world and as it is in the world so it is in our house so Jesus says our love for him must be greater than our love for the people that we love the most for the people that we're closest to if we're going to be worthy of him this is a cross that we have to bear and though we may face rejection from those we love we carry that cross like a criminal does his own cross-carrying to his crucifixion. You know, when a criminal faced death in Rome, he would carry his cross, and this was symbolizing that Rome had authority over that person's life, and he was forced to submit to that. When we carry the cost of discipleship like a cross, we are telling the world, Jesus Christ has authority over my life, but I am willingly submitting to it as I go through this world, no matter the loss, no matter the pain. This, Jesus says, is the true life. There is no life apart from that. That's life at all. And our mission is to share that truth of life with others. Like Jesus, sometimes we get so, I do this, I get so into my own little world, he's just saying, look at the lost sheep. Look up at the harassed. Look up at the helpless. Care about them. Tell them what brings them true life. We have to have that message of hope and salvation always ready on our lips. 
So Jesus' mission is our mission. We are both messengers and shepherds in a world that needs God. And in order to really do the mission that Jesus has for us, we have to be both. We have to be a messenger and a shepherd. We can't just give the message of Christ and not love and care about the people we give it to. We can't just love and care about people, but not give them the message of true life. We're a shepherd and a messenger. I had this woman in my house uh, last year. I have a luncheon for women that are in the mentoring program at our church, side by side at my house. And this woman, Michelle, this young woman, I said to her, well, well, how did you come to Christ? And she told me the neatest story of she worked for a pesticide company, and she went to an elderly woman's home just to inspect it. And as she's inspecting, she walks past a wall, and the woman has a picture of Jesus on the wall. And Michelle looks at it and says, that face is sort of familiar. <laughs> Who is that? Now, this woman could have said, hey, get to work. You know, you got stuff to do. I got places to go. You're a worker from a company. Instead, she looked at Michelle's face and saw the harassed and the helpless and said, honey, that's Jesus Christ. And Michelle was shocked, and it opened the doors. And that woman shepherded Michelle and took her to church and shared the gospel and brought her to Christ and discipled her. I thought, you got the mission right. You were a messenger and a shepherd. And now Michelle's at this church and super active. In fact, you're going to see her on one of the videos about being discipled. Uh, what a great story. I loved it. The mission of his disciples, so we left Jesus asking the disciples, you've got to pray for laborers, and the disciples were the answer to that prayer. Chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are first Simon, who's called Peter. Uh, Peter's almost always mentioned first because he's very prominent. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Poor Judas, he's always going to be mentioned last. He betrayed Jesus Christ. Um, we see two aspects of the roles of Jesus' followers here. They're both disciples and apostles. Both those words are mentioned in those verses. To be a disciple means to be a student of Jesus, to be a learner. To be an apostle means you're being sent out on a special mission and you're representing someone. They are both here. And did you notice they're listed in pairs? And so they probably went out and did this work in pairs, two by two, as they went out. Look at uh, verse 5. The 12, uh, Jesus sent these 12 out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there 
until you depart. Okay, I, I wonder what they were thinking. What were the disciples thinking? You're going to, you know, cast out demons. You're going to heal people. You're... They'd never done anything like this in their life. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were whoever. This was something amazing for them to hear. And they took very few belongings because it needed to look like the ministry it was. Not like they were on a tour or doing business. They were there for ministry. They had the clothes on their back, the shoes on their feet, no purses filled with money. Also, it made them have to rely on God to meet their needs. This was a mission to the Jews again, to the lost sheep of Israel. Their kingdom message was for God's covenant people. The message was the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means is upon you. It's upon you. The kingdom of heaven. Your promised king is here. And then their message would also be authenticated by the same miracles that Jesus did. Cleansing and healing. Their message was authenticated that the kingdom of God was here because of their miracles. And think about this. This is kind of amazing. Actually super amazing. Not only did Jesus display power against all these sicknesses and these evils, he was able to give that power to 12 ordinary men. Who could do that? Only God. It was actually a greater testimony than if his power had just been confined to himself. He was able to give that to his disciples. They had this unprecedented display of power never before seen in all history except through Christ. They changed entire towns and villages. People would be overcome with healings, power, restoration. The streets would have people celebrating, weeping, praising God. Lives forever changed. I was thinking if there were cell phones, think of all the selfies. People, would, people who didn't walk have a selfie of them walking. People who couldn't see would have a picture with their eyes open. How exciting. What an incredible thing. They were to go to worthy people. That meant people who would respond to their message. People who were welcoming their message. And those would be the same people who would minister to the disciples as they came to their town. Those who rejected their message and didn't accept it were to be passed by these towns and villages, shaking the dust off their feet. Now, this was a sign of great disdain if you shook the dust off your feet. This is what the Jews did as they walked through Gentile towns and cities. They would shake that dust off. Those cities that rejected Christ would be greatly judged. And so Jesus wants to now warn the disciples about these people of opposition, but he also encourages them at the same time. So let's look at verse 16. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. 
It's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Since they were going to be like sheep among a pack of wolves, they needed to display two disciplines he mentions here, as shrewd as snakes. And what that means is wise and avoiding danger. Get out of the way. Steer clear of danger. Be wise. As innocent as doves means a gentle purity, a harmlessness in the midst of danger. That's who they were to be. They were to expect to be flogged, to be drugged around from synagogues to courts before governors and kings, before the very Jewish leaders they were trying to help, and for Gentile rulers as well. So now, if, if I were one of the disciples listening to this part of my mission, I would have been so scared. I think I would have started coughing or something, saying, I, I may be too sick to really go on this one. You guys have a good time. Wow. Some of these warnings were describing future persecution after Jesus ascended and also the tribulation period before Jesus returns at the second coming. Jesus tells them and he tells believers in the future, so he tells us, don't worry what you have to say. I'll say. Trust me, I'll speak through you with my Holy Spirit. You may be hated by your family and by everyone else for my name's sake, but endure and be saved. Meaning those that endured were those that already knew salvation. That's part of God's working, saving work in our lives is he secures our perseverance. How great that he does that. Look at Jude on your verse sheet, 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God would be their voice. God would be their strength when persecuted by opposition. Look at verse 24. And then he said, a disciple's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beazabal, how much more will they malign those of his household? So when Jesus cast out demons, what did the religious leaders say? It's because you're demonic. It's because you do it through the power of Satan, of Beelzebul. That's how you do it. Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the High Places. This was a Philistine god. Here, of course, they're talking about the prince of demons. And Jesus tells the disciples, if they say the head of the house has demonic power, how much more are they going to say his servants have demonic power? So Jesus is saying, I didn't ask you to do something that I haven't already experienced myself. I think there's comfort in that. There's comfort in that for us. Jesus would understand those who are persecuted. He's going to understand their trials, their suffering, their tribulations. He'd be praying for us. First Peter 4 tells us, 
Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also share and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So Jesus says, don't fear what man can do to you. Look at verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that won't be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two, pennies sold, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So the disciples could boldly overcome their fear, knowing their souls were safe in God's hands. And he tells them, hey, what you've heard me say privately, be bold. Go out and proclaim to people. In fact, go to the rooftops and pro proclaim it. And you know why else he would tell them to do that? Because that's where everybody gathered to share gossip. On the top of the roofs. So he's saying, why don't you spread something that's true? Proclaim it on the rooftops. He was aware of their circumstances. God would guard their souls. Two sparrows sold for a mere penny. And yet God knows about every one of them. When they pass away, doesn't God love us more? Isn't he planning on helping us? Hasn't he secured our souls? I love the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw then closer to him. From care he sets me free for his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free, because his eye is on the sparrow, so I know he's watching me. What's in store for the blessed person who welcomes Jesus' message and the messenger, verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So Christ lives in us. He lives in his people. We are his ambassadors in this world, representing him. So however we are treated is how Christ is treated. So here we're hearing him say those who received God's prophets or righteous servants in the past, they were rewarded on the merit of those people. So when a little one, a seemingly insignificant person, a seemingly insignificant disciple, like say a tax collector or say a fisherman, when he knocks on your door and you open the door and you welcome him and you serve him, that person who receives the apostles also is receiving Christ and they will be rewarded according to the merit of Jesus himself. So the disciples' mission is our mission, and that means first we go where Jesus sends us. I don't know every place he wants to send you, but you do. 
Do you have a nudge in your spirit about your neighbor or about a coworker or about someone you go to do yoga with or someone that you feel like, you know, she's been trying to talk to me. Maybe I can befriend her. Maybe someone in your family that needs to know the story of Jesus Christ. Maybe someone is telling you, hey, can you come on this mission trip with us? And if God's telling you yes, then we go where he sent us. He nudges our heart. If you've never felt that nudge, tell him you're ready. And then pray. I want to be a laborer in your harvest. Where should I go? And he loves to answer that. We have not because we ask not. When we ask those kind of things, he loves to answer those kind of prayers. And then when we go, we bring the power of God. We leave our self-reliance at home. That's what the disciples had to do. It's represented by the little things that they brought in war. They had to rely on God. They accomplished things they never could have done without him. They never would have dreamed of doing. They did it because they were holding God's hand. They prayed and they went forward in that faith. Then we have to draw near to the one who has sympathy for our trials. Jesus felt what we feel and much, much more. He was abused. He was rejected. When we're abused and we're rejected, we go to him and he soothes the wounds we bear because they are wounds that he has borne as well. I thought about what it's like when there's a child and they fall off a bike and they run to their mother and their mother's holding them and she's stroking them and she's saying, I know, I know. That's what it's like for us to go to Jesus. That child is ready to get back on that bike. We're ready to go back and obey God on the mission he's given us. Then we overcome fear by understanding God's overcoming love. Understand that. His love is greater than anything we can suffer. When we feel like things in my life can be no worse, life can be no crummier, you cannot talk yourself out of the fact that God loves you. The most important thing in your life, he loves you. Others may hate you. Others may reject you. They may even plot against you. But guess what? We wear the armor of God's love. We can stand strong because of that. We know that even if our lives are lost, God holds our souls tightly. Okay, God laid out a verse here in the Bible that really helps us with our mission. Look at this last verse in Ephesians. We are his workmanship, created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you notice it doesn't say, should you choose to accept it? (laughs) He doesn't say that. He expects us to walk in these good works because he's planned them for us and he plans to be with us. And that's why we can call it Mission Possible. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We love you. How great that you give us a purpose in this world and give us the power of your spirit to be bold with it, bring people in our paths, 
and may we follow your great pattern for us in your power, and we love you that you pursued us. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.